are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Colossians 1, uh, 15-20 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of God. Well, welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to gather with you this afternoon, this evening, for this third Sunday of Advent, as Thomas mentioned. And uh, man, what a beautiful day we've had today. And then may snow on Wednesday. So craziness, right? Man, it's just good to, to gather with you. I'm really looking forward to diving into this text in Colossians 1 uh, this afternoon. But before we do that, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. So would you pray with me? Holy God, we, we come before you this afternoon. And, and just the reality, the fact that we can actually come before you should blow us away. God, you are holy and awesome. You're magnificent. God, you are, are nothing like we are. We can't even fathom your eternality and your perfection and your awesomeness. But God, you've made yourself known to us. You've revealed yourself to us. And not only that, God, you've allowed us to be known by you, to be in relationship with you by sending Jesus, your son, to us. So God, I pray that as we dive into your word now, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, would you help us to see Christ and to see and behold the glory that is contained in him. And because of that, God, we would leave today being in awe, awe of who our Savior is. Help us to do what we just sang, that we would come and adore Jesus. And God, I pray that as we behold his glory, that you would draw us near to you and give us hope. Give us hope in the midst of the messy world that we find ourselves in. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, at different points in our lives, all of us have instances and situations where we encounter challenges and difficulties. Maybe relational difficulty, conflict with someone within your household, a spouse or a child or a roommate or a family member outside of that in the workplace, or something like that, a neighbor that you're not quite seeing eye to eye with. Others of us have run into challenges with our finances, where all of a sudden we're not sure we've lost a job, or other things are going on, and there's financial struggles that we experience. And for some of us, now or in the future, we hear the results of a test we've gotten back, and just the daunting health diagnosis that might come our way. We know in those moments when we encounter those kinds of challenges and those kinds of situations, we actually recognize something. And that's that we need help. 
We, we actually start to acknowledge that we need help, that we can't navigate what lies before us on our own. But when we recognize we need help, we also recognize in those moments we don't want help from just anyone. We want help from someone who's capable, someone who's qualified. It's like those AT&T commercials, maybe you've seen these, where someone goes to get a tattoo, the guy's ready to have surgery, and the tattoo artist and the surgeon come in are, are not very qualified, and the people are really nervous about that. The tagline for the commercial is, just okay is not okay. And that's funny for a commercial, right? Just okay is not okay, but in real life, that matters. And just okay is not okay. Well, right now, we find ourselves in the middle of Advent, this season that God has allowed us to slow down, and the church has been celebrating now for hundreds of years, thousands of years, reflecting on the fact that Christ has come, and he will come again. I love this time of year that we get to do that. And we're in this sermon series called Songs of Advent where we're spending time rooting ourselves in a text of scripture and then using well-known Advent hymns and songs to, to come alongside of that and illustrate and reinforce what the scripture is calling us to see and believe. Our text today, as you just heard Kim read, is from Colossians chapter 1. And the hymn today that we're going to be using is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This hymn, we don't know who the author is, and we don't really know the date that it was written. Most people think it was at least in regular circulation around the early 1700s, and some people think that in some form or fashion it existed all the way back to the 12th century. In other words, this song's been around for a really long time, and the church has been singing it for a really long time. This song is a song of longing, longing for hope and longing for restoration in the midst of despair. In other words, it's a song that's asking and pleading for help. But this song isn't a call for help from just anyone, like we said, anyone who's willing. No, it's a call for help from someone, the only one who's actually qualified and actually capable to help us. But as we come to our text today, what we'll see is that Jesus is that qualified and capable person because of who he is. So no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, no matter what happens to be going on in your life right now and everything that's going on in our world right now, let's dive into Colossians 1. And as we do that, really strive to see and follow the one who has come and will come again. The one who our song says will come to fill the whole earth with heaven's peace. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter to a local church, just like us. A church that's finding itself existing in the midst of a world, a world that isn't seeking after God, a world that has no desire to honor him. And so Paul's writing this letter to this church, this local church, to encourage them and to help them in the midst of the place they find themselves in. He wants to encourage them, and because of God's province, his word is for us as well, he wants to encourage you. He wants to encourage you to stay focused. He wants to encourage you to be rooted in the good news of Jesus. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. He's writing this letter to encourage you because he knows something. He knows that in the messy and mundane moments of life that all of us from time to time are tempted to doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God. That when we encounter trouble, we encounter difficulty, maybe for our faith or other things that are going on, we can be tempted to doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God. Like, God, can you actually help me? 
Will you actually help me? Are you able to actually help me? And when we find ourselves in those places of doubt, our world is right there ready to offer other solutions to us. Listen, this is where you can find hope. This is where you can find life. This is how you can have peace. This is how you can be made whole. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to doubt God from time to time. To, to find myself in the midst of struggle and difficulty, to, to really not be sure that he can actually come through on his promises for me. It may be things that from time to time of like, uh, are my finances in the right place? If I have enough money in my bank account or my future retirement account, then everything will be okay. That's where my security will come from and those kinds of things. But as I thought about it more, the place that I see that creep up the most is being tempted to self-sufficiency. That... I actually don't think I need any help, that I can do anything and everything on my own. What about you? Do you ever doubt God's faithfulness, his goodness, his ability and desire to help you, that he'll actually follow through on his promises to you? Do you find yourself from different moments of life wanting to run after someone or something else to give you that hope? See, Paul doesn't want you to be tempted to think that Jesus isn't enough for you. He doesn't want you to be tempted to think that Jesus isn't qualified or capable to satisfy you and save you. He doesn't want you to be tempted to chase after other things in addition to Jesus. See, for some of us, I think, especially if we've been following Christ for a long time, is we never would outright reject Christ. We're not going to put Jesus on the shelf. We want to add a little bit to Jesus. I need Jesus plus something else in order to find hope and help in time of need. We can doubt in those moments his ability to actually love and lead us in the here and now. And so Paul wants to help us with that. And so what he does here, what he's seeking to show you is the reason that you can find your help and hope in Jesus and him alone is because of who Jesus is. So in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, Paul paints this masterful picture of Christ. This masterful picture of Christ. And in this, he shows us two overarching realities, two overarching things about Jesus, about our great Redeemer. And the first one that we're going to see in these first few verses is this. Our great Redeemer is transcendent. Our great Redeemer is transcendent. Now, I know that, or I'm guessing at least, that transcendent isn't a word that we use a whole lot in our everyday vocabulary. This idea of transcendence is the idea of being lifted up high and lifted up different than, other than, the kind of normal existence of life. So when I say our great Redeemer is transcendent, that's what I'm saying. Jesus is high and lifted up. Let's see how Paul helps us see that. Look at verse 15. Paul writes this, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul's telling us that God who is invisible, who is unable to be seen by the normal human eye, this God has been imaged and seen in and through Jesus. This is mind-blowing. Prior to Jesus coming into this world, no one had ever seen God. God had revealed himself primarily through his acts and his words, the words of his prophets. So Jesus here coming to do this is saying, no, I'm revealing God to you. John 1.18, John tells us Jesus came to explain the Father to us, to reveal the Father to us. That if we want to see God, we see him in, know him in and through Jesus. Paul also says, 
that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was made or Jesus was created. There was never a time that the Son didn't exist. He's existed eternally along with the Father and the Spirit. What Paul's getting at is the fact that Jesus has all of the rights and all of the privileges of a firstborn son. He's the inheritor. He's the heir of all things because Jesus is king over all. If that's not enough, Paul's continuing on. The beginning of verse 16, he says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And did you catch what, what Paul's saying there? For by him or in him, all things were created. Do you know people in your life that they like to use um, kind of absolute language to describe situations and circumstances? Like, yeah, this always happens to me, or everybody I know is doing this. Or everything always goes this way. Just this kind of absolute exhaustive kind of, maybe you're that person. (laughs) Well, Paul's doing that here. In three verses, he uses the word all five times. I think he's trying to communicate something to us, but not in a hyperbolic way. I mean, what does the word all mean? All means all. It is an exhaustive word. It does mean including everything that was created, period. And that's why Paul, to make sure that we understand when he says all, he really means all. He says everything in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, Jesus made it all. Everything physical, everything spiritual. Jesus is the creator of everything. There's not a single creature or aspect of creation that is autonomous from Jesus, from his rule and his reign. No creature is self-existent. No creature is self-sustaining or self-sufficient. All of them owe their existence to Jesus. Now think about what that means for your own life and the message that the world often communicates to us about us. We can at least understand, well, I'm not self-existent. I can't bring myself into being, but I'm certainly self-sufficient. I can do things on my own. I can be a self-sovereign. I can rule my own life. But right here, he's saying, no, no, no. You're not self-sovereign. You're not independent. You're utterly dependent. You were made. You were created. You were formed and fashioned. And it wasn't for your fame. And it wasn't for your glory. Look at the rest of verse 16. He says, all things were created through him and for him. Everything in all of creation, all the cosmos, including you, were made for Jesus' fame and made for Jesus' glory. As one scholar says, Christ stands at the beginning as the one through whom it came into being, and he stands at its end as the goal of the universe. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I wonder for you, though, as you think about your own life, what is the goal of your life? Is it Jesus and his glory? Does that define how you think about how you live your life? Or are you living for something less glorious? Paul doesn't stop there, though. That's not enough for him to describe this great redeemer that we have who is transcendent. Look at verse 17. 
And he, meaning Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold before all things, all things hold together. Not only do you and I owe our very existence to Jesus, which already sets him above and before all things, we owe our continuing existence and the sustaining of our lives to Jesus. See, Jesus didn't create the world like, like a spin-top kind of toy, like where he kind of created it and then set it in motion and just sent it out there. Like it's some product that he made and then sent it on its way, never to think about it again or engage with it again. No, Jesus is intimately involved in the sustaining and the maintaining of the universe. In Jesus and through Jesus, all things hold together. You know, a concept that's uh, popular in culture right now is to personify the universe. I'm sure you've probably heard maybe a coworker, or a friend, or maybe you've thought this before. Like, oh man, I need to ask the universe for something. Or I, I, the universe is giving me this thing or taking this thing away from me. They, we like to personify the universe. But listen, we don't need to personify the universe when the ruler of the universe is a person. It owes its complete coherence to Jesus. Without Jesus, electrons will not continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to exist. The planets would fall out of orbit. All of creation would unravel. And if that isn't mind-blowing enough to think that Jesus holds all things together, think about this. He did this even in Mary's womb. What? Even as a tiny, seemingly helpless babe, the Son of God never ceased to hold all things together and sustain the universe. This is the reach and power of our King and His kingdom. This is who our great Redeemer is, transcendent, high and lifted up. But the kingdom of the Son isn't only about the universe, it's about your own heart and life as well. Abraham Kuyper, who was a well-known theologian and involved in politics, famously said this, There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Now, that's not just about possession, like this is mine. He's looking at you and saying, mine, you belong to me. You belong to me. Jesus is sovereign over you and your life. Jesus goes before you and is with you and is intimately involved in the very details of your life. And it's always for your good and always for your joy. Now, this concept for me has been both challenging and comforting over the years. It's been challenging because it's confronted my self-sufficiency. Like, Jesus is the one holding my life together, not me. This is about my abilities and what I'm able to do or not do. Jesus does that. It, it confronts me with the reality that I'm not the king of my life. At the very same time, it's comforting to me. Because I know that when I don't know what's going on or why certain things are happening, I know Jesus. And he's holding it together in the midst of all that. John Piper, who was a pastor and writer, I think tweeted something one time and said that at any point in time, God's doing 10,000 things in your life, and you maybe know about two of them. Because you're not in control. Jesus is in control. Man, I'm so thankful for the reality of this text. This is amazing that Paul's painting this picture of Jesus, but Paul's not done yet. 
He's not done talking about our great Redeemer. Paul's starting to kind of, I feel like, reaching this kind of crescendo and talking about Christ. I can imagine him furiously riding away or, or having somebody ride away just speaking this. So listen again to verses 15 through 20. Think about Paul and how amped up he's getting as he's writing this. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, the firstborn, I'm sorry, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is not unqualified. Jesus is not incapable to give you hope and give you help in the midst of your life. You know why? Because Jesus is not some divine lackey. He, he's not a lesser God. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. He is fully God. Hebrews 1 says he, is, he has the exact imprint of the nature of God. If we want to know who God is, we see him in Christ. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is magnificent. He, he's incomparable. He's unfathomable. Nothing is above Christ. He is transcendent. He is high and lifted up. But you know what our world tells us? doesn't tell us Jesus is preeminent. It says you are. It says you're the center of the universe. The world revolves around you. If we're honest with ourselves, we tend to believe it. But this text is a sobering wake-up call, a gentle and gracious slap in the face to say, no, no, you aren't. You aren't the center. Jesus is. He, and he alone, is the preeminent one. He's paramount in rank and dignity and importance. Jesus is high and lifted up. What does this have to do with Advent and, and the celebration of Christmas? What does it have to do with our daily lives? Pastor Tim Keller said this, Christmas is telling you that you couldn't get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. And that's exactly what he did. See, Paul has made it crystal clear that Jesus is transcendent, yet, yet at the very same time, we see that our great Redeemer is also imminent. He's imminent. That, that word means he's near, he's in the midst of us, he's with us. The very one that we just read about, that created the cosmos and holds everything together, humbly came into this world, taking on humanity. He entered into the mess. He entered into our mess. See, instead of following God in our life, all of us have sought to go our own way. We were born to this world as rebels, rejecting authority, saying, I, I'm fine being my own king and my own queen of my life. I don't need anyone over me. I can do this by myself. And as we've grown, we place ourselves often in the position that only God should hold. We assert our own kingdom and our own will against God's kingdom and his will. We've chosen to worship ourselves, 
creation instead of God as creator and king. This is rebellion. It's what the Bible calls sin. And its consequences and effects are catastrophic. It has broken our world, fractured our world. That's not hard for us to see as we look around us even now. But it also breaks relationships. It breaks our relationships with one another. We see enmity and strife and quarreling and fighting amongst one another, both in a microcosm, relationally, interpersonally, and then in a wider societal level. But the biggest relationship it breaks is our relationship with God, who is holy and perfect. We're not able to be in relationship with him because we've rejected him. And the result of that is spiritual death. If we haven't been made new in Christ, we are walking around as spiritual zombies. We are the walking dead. We have no life within us. But Jesus, Jesus, he came to us as one of us to rescue us. He came to rescue you out of darkness. He came to bring you out of your sin and out of your rebellion, out of being captivated by less glorious things. He came to rescue you out of the delusion that you're okay on your own. How? How did he do this? He did, Paul tells us, by making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus, the perfect son of God, was born into this world in the midst of all the brokenness. Yet he lived a perfect life of obedience and worship before the Father. He never sought to assert himself in his will against the Father's will. They were unified together. Yet he went to a cross to die a death in your place. His hands nailed to wooden beams. His feet pierced through with thick nails to wooden beams. Excruciating pain. Experiencing that death on the cross. But it wasn't just that physical pain that he experienced. In that moment, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. The righteous wrath of judgment that every single person deserves for our rebellion against God. In that moment, the Father poured it out on the Son so that he wouldn't pour it out on you. That in Jesus, he would be a substitute for you so that you could be rescued and reconciled to God and experience the justice and the mercy of Jesus. Yet at the very same time when Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. No, he rose up from the grave again. He had victory over sin and death for you so that you also might have victory over it. But here's what I don't want you to miss in all of that. We should be in all of all that, but I don't want you to take something for granted. Jesus didn't phone it in. He didn't send a proxy. Jesus didn't do this for you via Zoom. No, Jesus came. He came and he dwelt among us. He was near to us. The same one who Paul has just described that called everything into existence and holds everything together. See, our Redeemer must be great because our need is great. The song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uses some pretty strong language to describe our situation. But what we see in Christ is, when you were in captivity, he paid a ransom for your release. When you were under the tyranny of Satan and sin, he came to save and set you free. When you were walking about in darkness, he shined the light of his glory into your life. Jesus is qualified and capable to give you help and hope in the midst of your life right now. And we know that because he gave you help and hope in the greatest need of your life. 
He is the remedy to your greatest need, the healing balm to your greatest sickness. Jesus is your sin slayer and shame crusher. No one else could do that for you but Jesus. For a people born into sin and into a world damaged by sin, there simply could be no other source of help and hope. Jesus is qualified and Jesus is capable because Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that is what and who we celebrate during Advent. Now, verse one of our hymn that we're going to sing after we take communion today says this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Jared Wilson, a pastor and author, said this recently, to really feel Advent, we need to really feel exile. To really feel Advent, we need to really feel exile. And my fear for some of you is that you've grown comfortable in this world the way that it is even as messy as it is. The world we live in, it's eager to distract you. It's eager to put you back at the center of your life. And it's pretty easy to do that in this area, in Northern Virginia. You know, in normal times, and we're not, certainly not living in normal times right now, many of us have all that we need. Not everybody, I know that. But many of us have all that we need and even more than we need. There's lots of shiny things around us, lots of things to distract us, lots of things to chase after. And in difficult times, like we're facing right now as a country and as the world, many of us in this area often don't feel the effects. We're somewhat insulated from the struggles of our neighbors. I've talked to people over these last few months that have said things even like, you know, this whole COVID thing, it's actually been pretty good for my family. It's been pretty good for me. If that's you, you might find yourself tempted not towards fear, but flippancy or apathy. Why is that? Why, why might that be the case? Why might you be tempted, even as a follower of this Jesus that Paul has just described? Maybe it's because you've forgotten who you are and whose you are that your identity now is a sojourner in exile, that this place is not your home and is not your hope, that you belong to a king in a kingdom that is not of this world. Now, for others of you, I don't need to remind you that you're in exile. You feel it, and you know it, even right now. Verse 3 of our song says this, Come thou dayspring, which is an antiquated way to say sunrise, Come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Many of you in your life right now are experiencing the gloomy clouds of night. They seem to have gathered over your head and over your life. And you're having a hard time right now. Maybe feeling loneliness or confusion, struggling with mental health right now at the moment, and the sunrise doesn't seem to be poking through. It doesn't seem to be putting these clouds to flight. For others of you, you know all too well the reality of the dark shadows, of death's dark shadows. They've impacted you personally and directly, maybe even this year. 
And if that's you, you might find yourself tempted not towards flippancy or apathy, but fear and despair and hopelessness. For all of us, whether we find ourselves too comfortable in this place or acutely aware of our exile, I think one of the biggest reasons we're tempted not to run to Jesus in those moments, not to look for him as the place of our help and hope here and now is because we too often forget how great our Redeemer really is. And listen to me, it is hard to have enduring hope if you don't have a high view of Jesus. It's hard to have real and lasting hope if you don't have a big view of our Savior. That's why I'm so grateful for Advent. I'm so grateful that we have this time. I'm, I'm grateful for a text like this in God's Word. I'm grateful for a song like this one that we're going to sing. Because it reminds us of what is true. It reminds us of who is true. It helps to lift up high in our hearts and in our minds and in our world our qualified and capable Redeemer who is both transcendent and imminent at the same time. So that instead of being tempted towards apathy or despair or flippancy or fear, that we would strive for faith in the faithfulness of our God. So the reality is we all struggle at different times and in different ways. The world we live in continues to suffer the ravaging effects of sin. I mean, can we just acknowledge that life is hard? It's difficult. The restoration of all things has begun, but Romans 8 shows us, and our own experience tells us, that it's not yet complete. But we have to see that when Paul says, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, reconciling all things doesn't just include your forgiveness and your salvation. Reconciling all things is about restoring the shalom, like we talked about last week, this peace of God where there's harmony and wholeness and completeness to a world that's been shattered by sin. We see the brokenness of our world. We experience real pain and loss in our lives, and so we can and should, as our song says, mourn in lonely exile here. We can and should, as our song says, long to be freed from Satan's seeming tyranny. We can and should, as our song says, want envy and strife and quarrels to cease. We should long for all those things, but we don't long without hope. Because we know that the Son of God has appeared and the Son of God will appear. This one who Paul describes in such a magnificent and glorious way. So here's what this means for your life right now. That that help and hope for restoration and for fullness in this life that all of us are looking for, that we're longing for, is not going to be found by being more enlightened or, or, or knowing all of the answers to the what and the why and the why of life. Restoration and fullness in this life is not going to be found in having more likes on social media or more followers. It's not going to be satisfied by the thinking and the things of this world. Restoration and fullness in this life will not be found if you try to rule your life as if you're king. No, help and hope for restoration and fullness will be found in the one who is the fullness of God. The one who created all things and holds all things together. The one who came to dwell in this world, who can sympathize with you in your weaknesses, who is a very present help in time of need, who is full of grace and truth, who willingly went to a cross to bear the weight and punishment for all of your sin and all of your shame. 
and who will come again to reconcile and restore all things. Now, how are you going to remember that when you walk out of these doors this week? And life smacks you upside the head once again. And we need to come back to a text like this. We need to come back to a Colossians 1, and we need to allow it to soak in our minds and our hearts and read it over again and ask God to plead for him to help us to actually believe that this is the one that we worship and that he is for us and he is with us. My guess is for some of you this week or an upcoming week, you're going to see your Bible sitting somewhere and you're going to think, man, I should go and read that, but I just can't right now. I don't even feel like getting out of bed right now. Can I plead with you, please reach out to someone and be honest with them and say, brother, sister, I need help right now. I just need you to read God's word over me. I just need you to pray God's word over me. I just need you to sing God's word over me because I can't do it right now. Tell somebody, please read Colossians 1 over me again. I need to be reminded. I need to be to remember this. Because see, when we remember this, it's then that you can see the empty promises of the world for what they really are. And you can run to and rest in the one who alone is capable to give you what you most need now and forever. This Advent, in the midst of very real difficulty and distraction, in the maddening moments of life and in the mundane moments, I want to invite you to come and set your gaze on our great Redeemer again in your life, or maybe for some of you for the very first time, that you turn to faith in Him, to look to Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us, and see Him as both transcendent and imminent. I love Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah writes this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says this, this is God speaking Christ speaking, the Spirit speaking, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I love that. Does that describe you today? Are you contrite and lowly in spirit? Does your heart need revival? If it doesn't right now, I know it will in the future. So brothers and sisters, this week, this month, when you're tempted to look for help and hope in someone or something else, come back to the truths of Colossians 1. Come back and marvel at our great Redeemer. And when everything around you is a mess, personally, nationally, globally, and you don't know why things are happening, what's going on, rejoice in the fact that you know the one who does. Remember, the one who made all things and holds all things together will come again to make all things new. So let's sing this song as we close out our time together. And let's sing it with the longing that's interlaced within it. That the stanzas of this song are prayers and pleading for Jesus to do what only he can do because of who he is. So come to him, your Emmanuel, and find hope. Let's rejoice. Emmanuel has come, and redemption has been accomplished. Let's rejoice because Emmanuel will come again in restoration will be complete. And to that we can say and sing now, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You know, one of the best ways that we can continue to lift our gaze on our great redeemers to take communion with one another. And it's something we do together regularly as a church because we need that constant reminder. And it's this means of grace, this physical means of grace that we get to put something in our mouth and taste and see two things. That this is a reminder of the goodness of of God's grace and what Christ has done, but also makes us long for a great meal when we'll eat with Jesus at the feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
As we eat the bread today, it's a picture of Jesus' body broken for you. And we drink the cup, it's a picture of Jesus' blood shed for you. And we get to do it during Advent, a time where we look back in thanks and look forward in hope. So as you eat and drink today, may it point you back to your rescue and point you ahead to your restoration and compel you to rejoice as we longingly wait for the day for our great Redeemer to come again. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we would just ask you not to take communion today because this is a testif testif testifying for us, a testimony for us of our great hope in Christ. And so if your hope isn't yet in Jesus, we don't want you to eat and drink today. We want you to take Jesus today. So just stay in your seat and just ask God to save you. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And if you want to know what it looks like to really know Christ and follow him, please come talk to me afterwards or any friend that you've come with today love to help you with that. For those of you that will take it, if you didn't grab the elements, they're on the table out in the lobby. Feel free to go pick those up. And you can take communion whenever you feel ready. If you need to sit and have this song sung over you, do that. If you need to pray and repent, do that. If you're ready to eat and drink right away because you're ready to rejoice, do that and stand up and sing loudly and joyfully about our Emmanuel who has come and will come again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this amazing picture, this glorious picture of Jesus that Paul has painted for us. Our great Redeemer, who is both transcendent and imminent, who is high and lifted up and near at the same time, who created everything yet came to us to save us. God, would you help us to lift our gaze this Advent season to see him. Help us to find help and hope in the one who made all things and holds all things together. The one who died and rose for us one who will come again to make all things new. Our Emmanuel, God with us. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. <laughs>